This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield. I'm Josh Williams, and I'm joined by David Hughes. As ever, how are you getting on this week, mate? Yeah, mate. I mean, I look, a bit, I look, I look like one of Mr. Miyagi's uh, favourite students here with my earbands on, but except for that, I'm all right. <laughs> It's been a few weeks actually, hasn't it, since we updated the wigs? Yeah, but uh, we were just talking then, weren't we, before we come on that, uh, we both got our appointments in with our barbers for next week, so we're a bit yeah. giddy. <laughs> yeah. Um, as, the, as the league title win gradually uh, phased out, because I remember last week he was a bit, a bit down, weren't you? <laughs> sure. Yeah, you yeah. know what, it was good to do, this. I think it was good to talk about it on the show, and um, yeah, it's kind of gone, there's always a... Uh, you always kind of expect the world to end when you see rivals. Even though, as I said, I'm pretty laid back with it now. But, you know, we see rivals do really well. But everything just kind of settles back down. And I think it's one of them that you'll you'll then look back on the achievements that further down the line again and realise how good it is. Um, because there's still games to be played. I think attention will switch back onto that like like we're doing today. Um, that'd probably be something that we and Liverpool fans kind of address and, you know, relive in years to come instead. Yeah. Um, it feels like we only recorded yesterday, really. Uh, yeah. we, we did a bit of a special episode on the, on the Friday on Liverpool's title win because we won the, the, the league the, the night before, I think it was. Uh, but we didn't actually talk about the matches that that took place beforehand and we didn't look ahead. So that's what we're going to do now. So, brief word on Palace and Everton because it yeah. seems like a while ago now. And then we're going to have a little look ahead to Manchester City who we have on Sunday, eh, who we have on Thursday, and then Aston Villa, who we have on the, the Sunday, and then we'll talk on next week's game games when they come. Um, so yeah, we'll start with the, the match that was furthest away, it was actually the first game back, so it, it does feel like a lifetime away, but I'm sure you, you, you will be happy to talk about it, Dave. <laughs> That's my, I wouldn't say my uh, torch in the darkness, it's, it's probably better described as a little lighter. Of, of, of hope um, you know in what was a pretty woeful game from a neutral point of view um, probably a little bit of a frustrating game from a Liverpool point of view as well but um, I think Everton done fairly well um, in terms of you know how they tactically set up to nullify Liverpool um, I think it helped that they, they were missing one or two key players namely Robertson and Salah um, but yeah, I thought it was good tactics from Everton point of view, and it, it it made for the difficult evening for for Liverpool, and maybe one they were pretty thankful to come away with a point with it in the end. Yeah, I mean we we predicted fairly comfortable wins, but I, I think maybe we might have overestimated the impact of the fans, maybe because uh, I think that's what we thought would would be the difference maker: the fact that Everton had no fans behind them, Liverpool had no fans against them. Mm. And it was the first game back, so fitness should play a part. So I thought we, you know, we we expected it to be quite one-sided and, and quite like the best team wins sort of thing. But maybe we got caught out there. Maybe I mean I don't know what the, the numbers are strictly so far in terms of the results for every team and whether things have changed massively. I think it's maybe a little bit too early to look at that. But mm. maybe that's something that we we overestimated. Yeah, yeah, potentially. Um... Yeah, we, we, it seems like to us that was the decisive factor between 
a Liverpool win and another Liverpool win, really. But um, I, seem, I, seem, I seem to remember like James Coleman in particular, um, Tom Davis, Richarlison. They all really did seem very, very fired up as, as though the fans were in the ground. Yeah. So, um, that that I thought wouldn't be the case. I thought they'd take a, a natural knock on the mental side simply because it was an empty ground. Yeah. Yeah, that's a fair point. Um, I expected something similar. But uh, the, you mentioned Coleman there. I thought Coleman had a really good game against, for me, yeah, one of the best players in Europe, in Man. Yeah, Coleman was uh, outstanding, I thought, yeah. Yeah, because he, um, I don't even think Mane didn't play well. I just thought he he just done really well in the, in the you know, we, t- we, we talk just as much about the non-quantifiable stuff as the quantifiable stuff. And just in terms of his work ethic and, you know his commitment in the in the physical yeah. duels and stuff. He just, of course, was concentration it, everything. Yeah, I think it it comes back to kind of a thing that you're taught as a kid in the in terms of win your individual battles, and it'll go a long way to securing a result for the team, sort of thing. And I think you're coming up against Mane, you're in the twilight years years of your career, but I'd I'd have no bones about saying that Coleman family won the battle. Really, I mean. I don't think really think he gave Mane a sniff. Um, mm. I think he let him, let him know he was there, sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I think Ancelotti got his tactics spot on, as as you say. There was no high line. There was no daft pressing. Liverpool didn't weren't able to target Everton's right as easily as we as we did on field. Um, and yeah, the expected goals on the day: 0.9 for Liverpool and 1.4 to Everton according to our provider, so not that much in it. I don't think there was very many shots either. Mm. Um, but on the day, that's, you know, that suggests that Everton had the, the, the slightly better chances, had slightly better shots in terms of locations. Yeah, it's, 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 you know, it, I think, and I, I, I've given Everton plenty of credit, um, you know, the way, they, the way they played. As I said, it wasn't a great game for neutral, and maybe those who were certainly i am inclined to prefer to watch better football might just see that as a really poor game and not really understand why Evan are getting any credit but um i thought he as you said nullified liverpool fairly well but i also have to admit that they were fairly uh fortunate in in, in the side that liverpool pulled out as well um obviously we, we touched on salah not playing i think that affected liverpool a fair bit no robertson as well and when Matt went off and um, Lovren came on, it felt like that's when Everton kind of smelled blood a little bit, and that's where the the bulk of that uh, XG would have really come from those those kind of late flurry of chances. Um, yeah, it was a reminder of why you know we talk about Lovren and why I think he just, although he is on the whole a fairly good defender, it's I don't think he's Liverpool standard. I think he just has too many errors in him. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree with that. I was. Little bit of a nervous wreck to be honest when he came on, um, and he looked understandably not really very sharp. Um, little bit of a calamity when he's chasing balls that he can't really get to and stuff like that, inclines to fall over his own feet. And I think what you mentioned there about Robertson and Sally, it it didn't really get mentioned by anyone on the day, but I I, I realised that Liverpool fielded an entire team of right footers on the day. Um, I'm not exa- I'm not really sure how popular that is. I'm not sure if that happens very often, but I'd assume that the large majority of fullbacks for virtually every club are left-footed on the left side at least. 
um, and we played Milner. And obviously on the on the right of our midfield, where we usually play Salah cutting inside, I think me and Mino played. So, yeah, a team of right footers, and I, I don't think it helped the way we attacked whatsoever. I think Klopp said since that, you know, our, our ball circulation and, and, and securing the ball was decent, keeping pressure in your half and things like that. But it was just the product in the final third was just non-existent. And yeah, I think yeah. a lot of that was disrupted by the fact that we didn't have a, a left foot of Robertson bombing it to the byline, making penetrating runs in behind. And we didn't have an even closely comparable um, alternative to Salah. It's a completely different dynamic when he's out. It does make me think, I'll be honest, Josh, that just on that, and I, I know we don't want to stay in too long because we've got a lot to get through, but it does mm. make me wonder whether Minamino can actually be the right side as kind of cover that people were hoping he would have been originally in that um, particular setup and formation. Now, I think he, he can play on that side, maybe in another formation with a different dynamic, but it, he just he felt too much like he a, a Firmino-type facilitator rather than you know Salah, who for me is more direct than a goal-getter, quite physical. And it just makes me think that perhaps... Um, you know, perhaps he's not the... I'm not r- ruling him off, by, by the way. He's still a fantastic signer and he's definitely going to have a purpose, but I just don't think he's going to be the right side of cover that maybe maybe Liverpool will will need to be a Salah replacement. Yeah, no, I'm inclined to agree there. I thought that when he came in, without having watched him that much, I thought he was quick enough to be a bit of a Firmino type, but also be a, a Salah or a Mane if we need him. But I've, I've since kind of realised he's He's very much a Firmino alternative. I think if Firmino was out and we still had Mane and Salah, Minamino could do a lot of what Firmino does in terms of the off-the-ball work and the the, the, the false nine-side movement. I think he'd be fine doing that. But anywhere else, um, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. We'll, we'll see. I mean, he's still trying yeah, to see yeah. and stuff That's like that. Early days, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, a few days later, against Crystal Palace, the two left-footers came back in. And, shock, the performance was perfect, in my opinion. Um, you're not really getting a much better game. I mean, we spoke a lot about Zaha before the game. He ended up coming off as a substitute. So that was obviously beneficial. But, um, yeah, the expected goals on the day. Liverpool, 2.4, according to our provider. Palace, 0.2. So that's virtually 2-0 or 3-0. Palace is certainly not scoring. Um, yeah, really comfortable, complete performance, I thought. Yeah, so did I. I um, I thought it was so easy, but then, and this is not to, not to take anything away from Liverpool, because what you just said there, I agree. You know, they were so commanding and dominant, but I just... I could see it happening the minute Zaha went off because I thought they were going to be facing yeah. an uphill battle anyway. And he was really the outlet that I thought, you know, they'll soak up pressure and then try and use him to break on the counter. And he was the, the whole linchpin to do that. And the minute he went, they've got no one like him. Um, I just knew they were in trouble. They were, Liverpool, you could tell, were up for it. They could obviously sniff how close the title was. Um, and yeah, they just turned it on and Palace just didn't have a hope. They, they're quite fortunate, really, that I think that it, it finished the scoreline that it did. Yeah. 
I think uh, Fabinho was flawless on the day, and I, I cannot not point out this stat. You will know what stats I'm aware I'm about to point out, probably. Yeah, well, like, I listeners probably will. I was going to say, we collected, but well, I collected it, didn't I? So, yeah, that's yeah. true, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. a good point. Um, but on the day, Crystal Palace had zero touches in Liverpool's penalty area. Um, I I can't stress how mad that is. That's absolutely crazy, trust me. Mm. Um, having said that, I, I did see one clip <laughs> this year. Yeah. It so... was in the box, like. Yeah, so what what it is is um, basically the definition of of the touch is actually if it's an action. So um, although you know, does it? What happens is what what Josh is talking about. For those who don't know, is is it Ayu? Is it? Um, it might have been yeah. Yeah, you... no, I think it was Townsend. Oh, sorry, Townsend. Yeah. So um, in just inside the box, Townsend makes a slight touch of the ball. But he doesn't really, he doesn't contribute to anything. It's not a, it's nothing really. I don't think it was a, it's not a pass, not pass received. It's not really a duel either. It, it's nothing. That's like a quantifiable action. Mm. And as a result, it's, it, it won't register as, as a touch, um, which is fair. Because I suppose if you think about it, with touches, if every single touch was taken, like if you think of a player carrying it from that, you know, the halfway line to the edge of the box, you know that that could be maybe 10 11 touches and that would just count as the one action um yeah. so i think that's how they actually do it but i mean it takes nothing away from how, how crazy it is to not make any sort of quantifiable action in the box or as they say no touches in there it is yeah it just sums up Liverpool's dominance as i said they were so so dominant yeah really were i think palace had three shots on the day all from outside the area obviously mm. um and for a bit of context around that stat, I think Opta has been recording that stat since 2008. And no team in England in the Premier League has, has, has recorded zero opposition touches in the penalty box. So That's mad. It, it, in terms of what we what we try and capture it, of dominance, the whole concept of dominance sort of thing, you know, if you're preventing the, the opposing team from having a single t- touch in your in your, in your penalty box while you're scoring three or four on the opposite side and you're shooting about I think it was about 18 times. Just a complete performance as I said one of the Liverpool one of Liverpool's best of the season actually and happened with no no fans in the ground sadly. Well timed um, performance you'd say it's probably the perfect yeah. way to then win the title next day. Yeah it sets it up as well for a really good match on Thursday. Because I was I was hoping Liverpool would go into the, the match on Thursday with a bit of momentum behind them. The the game against Everton certainly didn't provide that. But yeah, we'll, we might as well talk about Thursday now. Um, any initial thoughts ahead of Manchester City? Probably <sighs> the two most impressive teams since the restart. I think it's safe to say. Yeah. So, hmm, I don't know. <laughs> So, so what I, I was thinking about this before, and I was like, I feel before we discuss it in detail, which will change my mind, I actually fancy City a little bit. And that's not a disservice against Liverpool, but I just think Liverpool have achieved the main goal, haven't they? I'm not saying they're not going to be up for it, because I think they will. But you know what the margins are like at that level. And I think City, 
will be hurting. City are going to have to give them a guard of honour. I think they'll be wanting to get, at least get, you know, a result on the day. Because uh, that, that must hurt, let's be honest. Your rivals doing you by 20-odd points and then and then you have to give them a guard of honour the first game after you've just won the title. It couldn't have, you couldn't, as, from Liverpool's point of view, you couldn't have picked it any better. Um, it it just, is very much revenge for the, um, you know, the, the millimetres that we missed out on last season. Yeah, and the it's, one point. It's very much revenge for that, I think. Yeah, so I just think all this is going to fire up City. Um, whereas Liverpool, as I said, they'll be on it. I think they will. They'll be wanting to win that game. But I just wonder whether even just lacking that 2 or 3%, um, could be the difference. I could could get my eye wiped, and we'll probably go into it more detail now. And I'll finish our conversation thinking now, fancy shit, uh, Liverpool again. But that's just my initial thoughts, anyway. Are you on the same wavelength or a little bit different? No, I know what you're saying. Um, and you, you probably are right in terms of the, the, the percentage lacking. But I, th- I think with this being Liverpool's first game since becoming champions. I do think Klopp will have that speech in him of like, you know, can't go and show them why, you know what I mean? That sort of vibe. Um, and Liverpool will kind of, you know, want to, I assume, want to kind of showcase to City, this is why you're 23 points behind sort of thing. Um, and I think when you look at both teams, I just, I just, I just don't like City's defence. I just think City's defence is really vulnerable, really fragile when it's put under pressure. And there's not many teams in world football that can put you under the pressure that Liverpool can and attack you with so many different uh, weapons as, as Liverpool can. You know, you've got both full-backs, you've got the front three, you've got set-pieces, throw-ins, you, you know, you've got all kinds of long passes from Van Dijk. Mm. So it's a, it's a lot to deal with. Um, and the, 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 the Pals' performance has, has given me a lot of confidence that, OK, Liverpool should be OK. Yeah, this should be a competitive match. But I'm not sure if Liverpool, you know, completely dominated. And I'm not saying that, but it's just, it, it's it's two ridiculous attacks coming up against a ridiculous defence and a fragile defence, really. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. You know, the, if you look at the, if you do just compare the two sides, I think, I don't know, you could make arguments on either side to take players from the other team from an attacking point of view but, you know, both sides are probably fairly happy with what they've got attacking-wise, but, you know if you ask the same question defence you, I don't think Liverpool would take one defender from City um, no. you wouldn't even, I don't think you'd take the port would you, given his injury record and where he actually plays um, whereas, I think if you're City you'd, you'd take the whole back four um, and that's... Yeah. That's that's the difference for them. Um, that is a statement that really when you think about it. Yeah, you know, we'll but, take the entire back. They'd probably take the back five. I was just about to say. Well, could you though? I mean, I, I suppose Allison isn't as, and maybe you'll disagree. I think Edison's a little bit better with his feet to do. Um, I do, yeah, yeah. I yeah, do. but you know, I'm saying he's still capable with the ball of his feet, and he's a better shot no. stopper. Yeah, no, no one would perhaps like. I think Pep would probably keep Edison. But I think from Liverpool's perspective, Klopp would absolutely keep Allison. So, mm. and I think, but I do think about if, if you're building a team around one, I would pick Allison, and I'm saying that unbiased as well. I do think I do think Edison's great, mm. and he's one of the best I've ever seen with his with his feet. Honestly, crazy. But his actual shot stopping, his goalkeeping, his 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 presence, his one on ones and stuff like that, he's not as convincing. 
Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree to be honest. Um with 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 all that, I think yeah, he's fantastic with the ball's feet. But if, if you're just looking for a, you know, Liverpool are less reliant on that, you know, um converting the goalkeeper into like a third centre back Hardy, really. You know, that they use Allison, of course, they do, uh, often as a sweeper, but in terms of possession play, they don't rely on them as much. So yeah. they wouldn't really need Edison's kind of best characteristics, whereas he probably would want Allison's best characteristics in terms of shot stopping abilities. Yeah, I mean we spoke a lot about City's defense on the, on the Friday episode because it's it, it was kind of the the deciding factor really we determined of why both teams are separated by twenty odd points on the, in terms of what they do on the pitch. Liverpool's defense is on a different level to City's. Um, I've got thoughts around that. I've said that 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 before as well. But with our podcast, where we've spoke about you know, whether Guardiola needs the best players in the world to succeed and things like that. And my thoughts on that are that, you know, because of the the idealistic style of play he likes to, to impose, you need, he, he places a lot of burden on the shoulders of his players, his defensive players in particular, got to cover lots of ground, um, defending on the halfway line, one mistake and the opposing team's in, um, lots of one-on-ones, all that sort of stuff. Mm. And to cope with that burden, you've got to be quite complete. And I think mm. City, you know, the lost company, Fernandinho is no longer the, the six. Um, Rodri's less mobile, although he's still a good player. And Laporte's been injured, although I think he's back for this one. So, And I think Mendy and Walker are both bad decision makers. They're not really, they're, neither of them are um, particularly sharp up here. I, I think. Yeah. Um, I mean, you only got to see what Mendy did for Pulisic's goal last week. Absolute <laughs> calamity. Um, so I, uh, just on that, I, I told you didn't I didn't watch the game. Um, just because I think I was fussied out, and I also knew what was coming. Um, <laughs> so I actually, I, although I seen clips of him, so I'd seen clips of the actual um, missed tackle. I suppose you would call it. But I didn't until I was prepping for this show, watch the whole sequence where he, he, he just kind of, him and, is, is it him and Bernardo Silva? Gundogan. Gundogan, sorry. And um, the pair of them just kind of cock up this possession moment. Um, but but it's, it's not even that, it's it's after it as well. It's the, yeah, it's, it's, his desire to win the ball back. It's, yeah. And he, and he dives in like Otamendi would or Lovren would. It was so easy to bypass him, and at that level, it's in City's team, you can't do it. But just on the point you were making just then, um, that point in general about needing the, this kind of complete all-rounder is is one of the few um, justified reasons, I think, for when people accuse Guardiola needing to be clubs who have vast sums of money. I, I don't always buy that argument. I know to it's quite a hot topic. I, I, I do think he's an, a phenomenal manager that would do well at other clubs. But based on what you're saying there, that's that's one of the few kind of legitimate argument, arguments, I think, for the point that people try and make. Because those players um, are expensive because they're basically going to be the elite in their position, aren't they? Yeah. Um, and you couldn't really imagine him playing the way he does, implementing the philosophy he has with below par players you know like the way all right 
Liverpool have drastically improved once they bought the players that they needed to do so, so your Van Dykes and Yarlsons. But I still feel like Klopp done a really good job when he come in in those first few years of implementing a system that got results out of players who weren't probably the best players. Um, and I just wonder whether, you know, whether Guardiola could do the same thing. I don't think he could personally. I, th- I think Guardiola is incredible, and I think he's the best for the best. Um, mm, in terms, think, of yeah, that's a good saying. Players, but I think if he was to take the Liverpool job when Klopp took it, he would have really struggled. I think he could take this Liverpool team now and dominate with it. But the rebuilding and having to deal with players who were just error prone, an incomplete defence, bringing through young Trent and. and coping with his mistakes and all that sort of stuff. I, I just think to be able to execute Guardiola's football, you need to be really, really good, basically, mm. because of what he expects of you, the demands on your shoulders and stuff like that. And that's why the defence is a, is a problem for them, because I don't think they've got those players. That's why they're being linked with Koulibaly and, you know, monsters like that who are just total all-rounders, you know, complete complete players. and um. I, th- I think Liverpool are likely to. I mean, if you, I don't know what his approach will be because I feel like he's tried everything against Liverpool. He's had a bit of success at the Etihad, to be fair, mm. but I'm not sure what his approach will be. Whether he'll still opt for a high line, whether Rodri will still play as his number six, even though you're playing Liverpool, you know, Mane and Salah running behind. Um, they haven't got Aguero as well, which we haven't touched on yet. Um. Yeah, it's there's just a few question marks around. Like, I mean, cause you, you mentioned earlier about you know Liverpool have won the league, they've gone on to play for sort of thing. But to to an extent, neither of City. I think City have got second place pretty much secured. Um, yeah. So it, it, it's it's kind of the first real meeting for a while that n- neither manager has to win. They just really, really, really like to win because of the obvious situation. So whether Guardiola will. Stick with what he usually goes with because of that, or whether he will go the opposite way and test something mental. You know, it's hard to predict that. Yeah, I suppose for the first time in a couple of seasons now, it's not really, it doesn't feel like a title decider, does it? Um, I mean, I think, yeah, I still, I still, I feel like City have got more to play for because they've got a lot more pride to play for. Like Liverpool won't have a sleepless night if, if yeah. they beat Wildey, you know, they've got the title sewn up. I think if City were to lose this game on the back of losing the title, I think that would hurt them a lot. Um, but yeah, it's not a title aside, and the reality is they probably could be a little bit more flexible in the approach. Klopp doesn't need to. Guardiola's an overthinker anyway, isn't he? So you don't really know what he'd do. Um, it there is going to be it, there probably is going to be a few tactical questions to be asked, especially with same players missing such as. Such as Aguero, and you know whether they'll um, kind of line up in a similar way to how they did at Chelsea. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Just a little bit on City's defence, and we'll start bringing a few visualizations in now for those that are watching on YouTube, and trying to stick with the theme of late. For those that are listening, trying to make the show a little bit more interactive and stuff like that. So hopefully you can see that. that is that they are the the shot locations of the shots that Man City faced 
from open play in the Premier League this season. Um, obviously, there's not many. <laughs> um, but one one thing I've noticed on it, it, it it's quite weighted, isn't it, towards the, the right of City's defence, which which is where you know the where war would be, and where and I'll. Fernandinho or Otamendi or whoever's playing would be. John Stones, whoever, yeah. Yeah, but I, I I wasn't previously aware of that. And it's quite it's quite funny as well, considering City City's left back's been a problem position for a while and Laporte's been out all season. Mm. Maybe it's just a coincidence, but I was I just thought it was just something that I spotted and just thought that looks quite weighted towards one side. Yeah, they probably need some further analysis that actually because um that's it, you know. If it was last season's map, you probably understand it, wouldn't you? Um, it kind of makes mm. sense. But yeah, this season that the defense as a whole, it's been a bit up and down, makeshift, and a bit of a mess. Um, so you kind of expect some sort of well, you'd expect it to be across the board, wouldn't you? Really? But yeah. then it'd be interesting to see where those if where those shots, uh, where the balls originate from, whether you whether they've come from the left and being cut across goal. Yeah. Which something we'll be able to look at. Yeah, well, it's interesting you should say that. <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. while we've just been talking about it, I didn't... That... Go on. on. I was going to say, I didn't intentionally set that up just in case people think we're, uh, <laughs> we're you know, trying to fool them here. <laughs> no, while you were saying that then, um, it, it did actually cross my mind. Hang on. If... I know that's... Sorry, I'm getting completely mixed up. I was thinking about that day with the shots that City had attempted to oh, score. Yeah, because yeah, I was thinking to be off the Bruins playing on the opposite side. Let me just see if I can... Uh, I mean, I hate this part where we go, hold on, let's just hold on for one minute and see if we can look at something <laughs> because it, people must be watching and listening thinking, oh, get on with it. But um, <laughs> yeah, you could, we could bring that up very quickly, actually. Um, just there? a little bit on that anyway, but yeah, why are you yeah. doing that? The um the, the major threat that I do want to point out is Kevin De Bruyne for obvious reasons. Um, these are his open play shot assist locations in the Premier League this season. Again, apologies for those who are listening, but that is quite impressive. <laughs> you see that, Dave? I'm just yeah, got it now, mate. Yeah, that is. I mean, phenomenal for one player. That's a lot. Um. Probably the most shot assists per 90 in the Premier League, I think I'm right in saying. Um, but I think it's interesting that there's, there's a few what what you'd call, um, what would you call them? Like kind of segments, clusters. There's yeah, a few clusters. clusters there, isn't it? Um, yeah. In terms of, there's obviously over here, we everyone's seen that pass that he does. It's kind of like a, a pass cross type thing, isn't it? Yeah, and you've got a few, a few from deeper locations, yeah. Um, and then you've obviously got the the cutbacks type type crosses from from closer to the byline. So he's he's kind of a a threat who, because of how how much of an all rounder he is and how versatile he is, he kind of can just come at you for all, from all angles depending on how he's used by Guardiola. Yeah, so you can't yeah. you can't really aside from this type of stuff, which I think he does most often. You can't really plan ahead for for what he offers. Yeah, he's uh, that, that's it. He literally can uh, anywhere across the the final third really create chances. 
um, which might not sound that remarkable to anybody listening now, but it, it is. You know, to for the player who can be any part of the the final third and create is is impressive. Um, I think he's been phenomenal this season. You know, I know City have had a bit of an up and down campaign, but I think from a from an individual um, perspective, uh, he's been brilliant. And obviously, a Liverpool player is going to. I imagine get player of the year and you can understand why but um, I mean he should be right in there in the conversation for me anyway yeah, yeah um, no, he's, he's the big danger for me let me just bring this up Josh um, where is it where is it where is it where is it hold on apologies for the uh... <laughs> have you got that oh, now yeah. yeah go on yeah so let me just close that so what it looks like there's a that a fairly large amount of crosses coming from the um, from the left side, but they look like mainly set pieces. But what I want to point out is, can you have a look? Can you see these uh, almost direct balls from the from the mm. city's right wing from a defensive point of view coming right down here? And I just wonder if they're passes that are getting played. Oh, are, are, the, the, are these the shots City have faced? So these are shots uh, shots that City have. Faced and the the line represents the pass from where the uh, from where it's the ball, location, yeah. yeah, pretty much, yeah. And if you just have a look at the, I think this area here, which is would be say balls from midfield splitting in between the um, the right back and the right centre back, seems again yeah. a lot of success there. Um, yeah, interesting, that, yeah. And if you think about from a Liverpool point of view, that's Robertson potentially playing through ball to Mane to run onto. Yeah, well, I was just going to say then, a lot of them balls, considering how high they are, they're obviously through passes. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I, I think one thing you can get from that shot map that I, I, I put up before, where they've faced shots from, you know, that, that offers an insight into perhaps on the day, Mane will, will be the biggest threat in Salah, but I don't think you can ever rule Salah's threat out. Mm. But it just looks like City a little bit weighted towards conceding chances on the right side of their box. As opposed to the left, yeah. Um, so yeah, maybe that's one to keep an eye on. Mm, um, yeah, I mean, looking at looking at the defense though, they've actually been quite clean up to now. Um, I think they've played four matches since the restart, including an FA Cup game, and I've only conceded in one match. Um, and in that one match against Chelsea, it was obviously the Mendy mistake, and it was a penalty. Um. So, you know, those are unlikely to happen every other week. So City's defence actually has actually been quite composed since they returned. And obviously against Liverpool, I think that the crowd does tend to come into it and fluster them a little bit. So maybe those mistakes that Liverpool are good at getting out of the City defenders, maybe they're less likely to happen. But again, we can't really offer much insight into what the, the lack of fans is doing just yet. Feels mm. a little bit so I was just going to say what what I do want to add to that is though, and I think it really kind of just reiterates what the whole kind of point we've been making over the past twenty minutes or so is I've watched the last six goals they've conceded. Um, so that's the two at Chelsea, um, two at United, uh, one against Villa and one against Real Madrid, and, and every single goal was an error. And I know you can argue that. Um, you know, goals conceded are always an error to an extent. So, you know, someone hasn't done something right or whichever. But these are these are obvious errors that you can you can pinpoint. 
Er is dat happened as a result of the burden. Spot on, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's six goals. So basically, you're right in the sense that, you know, City as a defensive unit are actually on the whole fairly sound. That's why, you know, they don't, they're not conceding a load and they don't face many shots, but there are still plenty of errors in there. And yeah, as I said, I think it's like six goals at mistakes. Yeah, I think the right, the right word for it is probably moments. Remember Gary Neville said that, stuck with me a little bit. He said, against City, sometimes you have to live in moments um, because they, they don't give you a sniff, but when they do, they are prone to just kind of collapsing for a split second. Um, and then when that happens, you have to really take advantage of it and put them to the sword. Liverpool have been good at doing that and they've got the front three certainly to do it. Um, Maybe set pieces will will play a part as well. Um, just considering, you know, I suppose the the, the height of City, uh, the physicality of City. I'm not sure if he'll what what players will will start. I know, I know Pep started seven midfielders against Chelsea, um, which is crazy. <laughs> mm-hmm. But you know, Gabriel Jesus, Sterling, Bernardo Silva, Mares. De Bruyne's got a bit of height to him, I think. Um, Rodri's obviously quite tall. Fernandinho, not so much. Laporte is about 6'2", six, 6'3", six, I think. Mendy and Walker, quite tall, fair play to him. But I don't know. I just I just feel like, if, if you're going to look at how, how come he scored against Manchester City, I mean, I don't think they, they allow many set pieces, but when they do, surely those are big opportunities, let's say. Yeah, I'm trying to... It's a shame I haven't got any numbers to, to back it up, but, you know, if you think of the, the Norwich game early in the season, I'm pretty sure there was a couple of goals that originated from... Yeah, the first goal there. was a, definitely a near post-header. Yeah. Um, conceived. And they must have one of the smallest sides in the in, in the league when you think of those players. You know, they've got some really fantastic, technically gifted players, but, you know, maybe not that much height in there. Um, I... You know, it, it would be good actually to write a piece. Maybe one of us will do it, and at the end of the season, and, and see how they, they've improved from set pieces, because they brought in that Nicholas Jova, was it? Uh, from yeah, Brentford. from Brentford, yeah. Um, in the summer, because m- my guess is, and we may have even spoke about it. I think you said something similar. Was they've, they've looked at Liverpool, seeing how many goals they were scoring, were like we need to improve on that. I think they had the lowest conversion rates set piece wise compared to goals last season um mm. so yeah it'll be interesting to see but i did have a quick glance when i was before the show and you know van dyke has scored four league goals hasn't he headed goals this season and i think it's aguero and jesus who've scored the most at city with two apiece so you know they're kind of missing a big aerial presence aren't they from from corners from attacking corners and then obviously it'll work the same way and defending them so yeah i think i think that's something liverpool can definitely profit from yeah i mean they did they did sort of at the very start of the season and the community shield against liverpool and i remember oh, yeah. flagging it talked about it on this show wrote a piece on it and i expected more to come but we haven't seen that much in terms of thinking outside the box and doing little shrewd things that is that, that have clearly been premeditated um, <laughs> for whatever reason, Dave has just left the call. Um, you back? Yeah, the wife. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to log off myself then. Yeah, no, sorry about that, everyone. 
felt like Mendy on my own dealing with the council. <laughs> <laughs> I was just trying because City was coming up. I was just giving you a feel. I'm like to be a City defender when you're facing the council attack. Yeah, still there. Um, we, we missed the studio a little bit, don't we, mate? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I was I was a little bit disappointed with um, you know, the, the the lack of outside the box thinking that City have, have, mm. have demonstrated. Maybe they have under the radar, but I haven't really picked up on much of it. Um, yeah, I maybe it stems from the lack of the lack of personnel, the, the lack of because you need players who are yeah, like Liverpool can obviously use Van Dyke in those situations. Um, say for example, Manchester United can use Harry Maguire in those situations. Now, I know Laporte's decent here, really, and Osimendi's quite good in the air as well, but he doesn't play every week. But maybe they just need, you know, as I said, the, the personnel to use for that sort of thing. Yeah, I agree. You know, would because uh, City's strengths, are, you know, uh, being in possession of the ball and very good technical players, does Guardiola think well, I'd, I'd much prefer the side to just go short, get the ball back in play, and carve open opportunities in in open play, um, rather than putting it in, knowing that, you know, I imagine you're playing like a, a Brighton or a Burnley or a Liverpool. Ironically, you know, you know, there's big big defenders in there who are really good in the air. What would be the point in swinging the the ball? And if you know they're not going to win it in in the aerial duels, that's you probably just prefer to get the ball into into feet where that's City's strength. Um, so maybe that's why there hasn't been the kind of um, routines that we were that we were hoping to see from them. Um, yeah, that's all I can assume. Yeah. Um. So verdict on this one then? Where do you see this going? Where do you see? It? Being won and lost. And be honest, we you know we appreciate that you're a blue in that. But... No, no. I, so I remember at the top of the segment, I said to you, yeah, you know, if you're asking for me initial thoughts, yeah, I fancy City because of X, Y, Z. But I'll wait and see at the end. And now after this talk, and I'm like, I don't know now because um, I just think you know Liverpool don't have any weaknesses in the side, and they have so many strengths from an attacking point of view. Whereas City do have an, an obvious weakness to be exploited. Um, and you know what? I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna go with a draw, a score draw. Uh, mm. I, I can maybe see City starting fast, take, getting a goal, um, and I, I could see that maybe kicking Liverpool into gear a little bit, uh, and Liverpool finishing a little bit stronger. I'm gonna go one-one. Yeah, I am leaning towards a score draw, to be honest. Um, but I think I will say in this one in particular, a lot of it will will um, be determined by who scores first. I think if Liverpool score first, City could have a problem. Um, whereas I think if it's the other way around, I think Liverpool would be better in, better equipped to start going for it to get a goal back, but while having you know, Van Dijk and Gomez to still deal with Kansas and Fernandinho and that, uh, it, Fabinho, sorry. I think Liverpool are better equipped on, on that side. Mm. Um, yeah, whereas yeah. if City start overloading to, you know, to get a goal back and to get themselves back in the game, I think Liverpool can get them on the break, especially considering those defenders that we've mentioned. So, yeah. but you know, I, I, I am inclined, especially considering neither team technically needs to win. I do think that Around the hour mark, if it's level, I, I don't think the team will really go for it. 
and I think it could be level so I think I'm gonna go with um yeah one all I think maybe maybe two all but I think I'm gonna go one all. I have very very little faith in City's defence so two one Liverpool is possible as well I don't know. I've won that. I'm not uh... Yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm I'm just gonna stick with the uh, the score draw one way or the other. I think, um, you know, one one two two something like that. Uh, but I am looking forward to. It. I think it'll be a good good game. Yeah, keep an eye on who scores first is is what I feel most confident in saying. Um, but we'll move on anyway to to Aston Villa. Um, likely to be a lot easier. <laughs> mm. uh, yeah, judging by the season so far. But then I don't know. You know. Even, even how they perform since the restart, though, yeah, they, they are bad. Yeah, they've I, I watched them the other day, and they just they, they, the way you can usually spot patterns in a team. Um, I know that he's only been working with that group since the start of the season, so you know you've had to work from scratch almost. But I just don't see anything. I don't see any any patterns, any plan. Are you thinking of the Wolves game by any chance? Was that the one you watched? Yeah. yeah. yeah I must admit, I was like, these just seem completely incapable once they got to near, anywhere near the final third. Um, just, anywhere near the halfway line, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> Probably better somewhere, yeah. They, uh, yeah. they look completely toothless up top and they've got a really weak defence as well. So the problem is, you know, you're basically weak at both ends of the pitch, which means it's no surprise that they're not picking up points and they're, you know, loitering the foot of the table. And it'd have to be a miracle, really, to to get out to get out of what they look like. They're going to probably get relegated. But then sometimes these games are really hard. You know, they just they just pull something out of the bag and Liverpool maybe foot off the gas a little bit. You don't know. I can't see it. I'll be honest, I can't. But I think it's still one that Liverpool have got to Gotta take serious. Yeah. I mean I will say that the the away fixture was quite tricky. But I think one of the key reasons it was it was a tough one. And we ended up winning two one in the end, two late goals. But one of the reasons it was a tough one was because A, we conceded first and um it was also from a set piece as well, mm. which we don't usually concede from. Um and yeah, I think I think Vera event that they're quite well suited to a bit of a low block block type vibe. I think Tyrone Mings in particular is quite good in it, at that low block type game where he's good in the air and that sort of stuff and he's a talker and things like that. I think they had Tom Heaton in goal at the time who's obviously used to that sort of thing with Burnley. Um, and once he took the lead they really did sit on it for an hour. Liverpool usually try and usually will, will, will get you back for that quicker than we did. They were obviously backed by the fans as well at the time of Villa Park. It was really loud, good atmosphere. That won't happen this time. Um, but yeah, I mean, as you said, spot on with what you just said in terms of we'll start with the defence, the worst in the league. I've got it as um, just terrible. I think I think Dean Smith has, has got a bit of a record for that as well, hasn't he? Yeah, he's like a, a Bobby Martinez type character. Yeah. <laughs> Defensively, that is, um, yeah, they, they they look really, really bad at the back, really shoddy, and they have done all season. You know, it, it's a winner game. They they 
probably need to score two or three goals. And as we briefly touched on, they're, they're not really capable of doing that. So it's, it's no surprise that they're not just not winning. Yeah, well, I've, I've, I've got it down on my notes here, actually, that since the restart of played four matches um, in each match, number of goals, zero, one, one, zero. So you basically guaranteed to win the game if you can score two against them. Mm. And, well, since the restart at least. And looking at the defence, it's highly likely that a team as good as Liverpool are going to bag two against them, really. So, um, yeah, I, I don't envisage many problems. We shared, we shared this last week, uh, Friday, I think it was. So it might be a little tiny bit out of date considering he was about there's a few matches played on the weekend. But that is how the defences in the Premier League look this season um, in terms of expected goals against and actual goals against this season. Obviously, Liverpool down here with the best defence expected to concede around 30 according to XG. We've conceded about 21, I think. Villa at the opposite end conceded about 60, been expected to concede about 60. Uh, that's the absolute last thing you want when you come into Anfield, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And you know they they have they boast a clean sheet, don't they? At, since the restart, but even that shouldn't have been a clean sheet. It was, it was the most bizarre circumstances ever, where where it was a blatant error, goalkeeping error. Um, the ball goes across the line, and it wasn't given. You know, it was it was the only time I think in since these uh, goal line technology watches have come in that for the referees that didn't work, isn't it? Um, yeah, that was a, a shambles. Yeah, it was it was really, really poor. Um, you know, I know this is a Liverpool podcast, so we don't want to get too bogged down on it, but it was so poor. You know, you got VAR there, they should have pulled it back. They didn't, and they end up getting a point in a clean sheet in that game. But in reality, um, it should have been another goal against and another defeat. So um, it can be slightly misleading if someone looks at it there and thinks, oh, well, they've got one clean sheet because that shouldn't have been the case. Um, they are they're just not a good side. Um, at all. Yeah, I mean, we showed we showed the shots earlier on that City have faced from open play. Um, if you want to see the opposite end of the scale, there is Aston Villa's. <laughs> um, as you can see, they face uh, a lot of shots. That's just from open play as well. That's, that's excluding set pieces. Um, they're all fairly central to the goal as well. Um. Plenty inside the penalty box, and that's just kind of um, not what you want, basically. Um, I don't know who this was here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Charlie Adam or something. <laughs> Tell you um, what, though, you've got you've got a job on your hands trying to see the six yard line there, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, which isn't a good sign. The, the type of team that I'm pretty sure that they faced the most shots per ninety. I'll double check that now, but I think in terms of generating shots against this team. Unless you can see it first in the first 20 minutes, as Liverpool to the Villa Park, I think Liverpool are going to be, um, you know, having a bit of a field day in terms of the attack. Like, yeah, yeah, I, I think they have faced the, the most shots this year, and it's it's hardly a surprise, is it? Um, again, yeah, it, <laughs> you know, I, I said at the start of the segment that. I think these could be a banana skin. And I'm still not ruling it out, but I just there's just nothing to like about Villa at the moment. There's absolutely nothing to like defence-wise, attack. Now, even Grealish, who I imagine we'll talk about in a minute, um, 
Grealish has looked a little bit out of sorts. It looks like he's he's almost getting weighed down by the burden of having to carry the side, and he's 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 doing a little bit too much to make up for the lack of quality elsewhere. And it's almost nullifying his his best assets as well. So their most their biggest threat is is not really performing what they what they need them to be either. So there's just not, there's not much to like about them at all at the moment. Yeah. You mentioned Gaelish there, I've kind of got him down as the only, the only major threat, really. I think John McGinn's looked a little bit out of sorts since he came back, hasn't really provided much of a threat. Mm. Um, I also noticed that Villa is second bottom in the division for three, three balls. Um, Liverpool, I think a top or second top with 74 mm. completed, that is. Mm. Um, Villa on the opposite side. I've completed only 26 all season. I think that stems from the lack of pace they've got up front, which is what you need if you're going to challenge Liverpool's line. Mm. Um, I think the last time we reported them and we did a show like this, we said that the defence is terrible, but the attack is about mid-table. I think now the attack's taken a hit. It's 17th in the lead, they are for me, in terms of non-penalty expected goals. Um, the worst goal difference, second worst goal difference in the league, uh, the worst expected goal difference in the league. Um, you know, it doesn't bode well for him, but I, I do think Grealish is a problem. I think I think he's, I think he's maybe too inclined to get fouled, which sounds harsh of me to blame him for that. But you know, on the attacking side, I, I think he is one of the few who, when he is pressed, he can still lift his head and spot spot little openings and opportunities. But he hasn't got that playable and beyond him, so. That's what I was just about to say. You know, if 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 Villa had a, a a striker, it doesn't even need to be you know a top striker, just a a mid mid ranking forwards. I'd I'd be saying yeah, there's going to be that little threat there because you can imagine them sitting in a low block and then Grealish is a really good ball carrier. You know, he can he can yeah. carry the ball up the pitch. He can get them out of the defensive third and you know right up into the opposition's half. But he's he does it on his own and. I think that's a lot why he wins so many fouls. He, he 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 takes the touch and goes down because he probably knows if he doesn't, he's going to lose possession because there's absolutely no option for them. Um, so yeah, he is the threat, but just we're not. If Grealish was the type of player who I know he's got it in his locker, but he doesn't do this a lot. If he was the type of player that could run at you the way Zaha does, and then you know hopefully try and apply a finish, then I think it'd be a bigger threat. But I feel like Grealish is a little bit more of that facilitator. And mm. he hasn't really got anyone to to set up. Anyone to yeah, you know? Exactly. Yeah. So I yeah. think it's going to be. Yeah, it's probably see a lot of him kind of running frustrated and then getting dispossessed and the attack starting again for Liverpool. Yeah, I mean, well, it's worth noting actually on on Grealish getting fouled that Liverpool are the the, the least likely to, to to make a foul in the Premier League. I think this season. So whether we will impose that tactic specifically for Grealish remains to be seen. I doubt it personally, but um, that is usually how teams tend to deal with this threat, just as soon as he gets on the ball, put him on the floor. Um, I think that's certainly how City deal with this threat. Um, one other little thing as well, they've actually got the most one-footed play in the league, and it's not close. He's the most one-footed by an absolute mile. No, I guess. Uh... He's put it this way. The player who's the second most one-footed in the league. This player is 
twice as one footed as let him. Let me see. Oh, let me put the bring the score. Oh, go on, just, I was just is, is it El Mahamadi? It is El Mahamadi, yeah. <laughs> yeah. How did you know that? Because literally, I just typed in like, Aston Villa squad and I was like, it just stinks of El Mahamadi. Um, <laughs> yeah, I yeah, think that's... he's, I'm pretty <laughs> he's right footed and he, he averages a left footed pass. Um, every 110 touches or something like that it was. Um, and what that's, flag does he play on, Josh? Yeah, he's, surely he's got to play on, on, on the right wing, surely. Um, the, for, 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 for context, the, the second most one-footed player in the league is Charlie Taylor at Burnley. Um, and El Mohamed is twice as one-footed as he is. Um, so if he's playing... You know, expect them to be the, the product of a lot of pressing traps. But I think I think he I think he's being used as a substitute more often than not lately. So I wouldn't expect to see him. But mm. he's in, he, he absolutely hates his left foot. Put it that way. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. So verdict then. Mando. Yeah. The, the way Villa are at the moment, even if the pool are um, in, in fifth gear, you, you could imagine the coast and still get there. So, yeah, I think three nil. Three nil. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm gonna go with. I suppose it depends on the team he plays. Considering we play City on away on the Thursday, maybe he'll be inclined to rotate a bit. But if it's the usual Liverpool team, I, I would go three or four nil. Same as Palace, really. Mm. Just as answer that. What are you open to see actually from these final few weeks? Do you want to see rotation? Do you want to see like Curtis Jones and stuff playing, or you know that first? If Curtis Jones is playing, I want at least eight of the usual eleven to be in place alongside him. I don't want big changes. I, I mm. want records personally. So if Minamino's playing, virtually everyone else plays. If Jones is playing, virtually everyone else plays. If Nico Williams is playing, virtually everyone else plays. I do want them all to get. Uh, I think you need five appearances to get a medal. Mm. Harvey Elliott's not done as well. I think you need five appearances to get a medal. So I'd like them all to get that personally. But as I said, that, that if if you're changing everyone at once, I, I, that's not what I want to see. I don't I don't like that. So you don't want well, to see. Go on. I was going to say you don't want to risk uh, results for experience. Well, I, I think you can get you can mix them both if you bring the players in at the right times and, mm. and stuff like that. Like, I think I think if Trent plays 90 minutes against City and then Nico Williams comes in and plays 90 minutes against Villa, considering Villa's lack of threat, um, uh, you know, I, I don't think you'd, you'd suffer that much. I think if everyone else is playing alongside him, so I think it wouldn't be that much of an issue. So I do want to see players given chances like, yeah, mm. but I also want the record, so... Providing there's a balance there. Yeah. Yeah, I'm yeah. Okay with it. Mm. Um, yeah, we'll round up there then. Um, next week we have Brighton and somebody else. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I think we'll be Brighton on Wednesday. So we will probably be back next Tuesday around that time, I'm, I'm, I'm expecting, but it's a bit of it's a bit of, bit relentless at the minute with the schedule. Um, yeah. So we'll see. But thanks cheers. for joining us anyway, Dave. Yeah, cheers, mate. Thank you. Uh, and we'll be back next week. Thanks. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.